That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Niagara Moon Losing my opinion Hey Thin Lear What late 60s soul artist are you talking about today? <laughs> it's not soul well, uh, vaguely. Gotcha. I mean, he might think he is now, but... Uh, well, I, I'm excited to hear what you have to talk about today. Uh, as uh, returning listeners know, uh, on this podcast called Losing My Opinion, hello, I'm a... Uh, Losing my mind. I'm, I'm critically acclaimed indie artist Niagara Moon, a.k.a. Thomas. I am critically disparaged indie artist... Thin Lear, a.k.a. Matt Longo. Yeah, I saw the latest review in Pitchfork. Yowza. Oh, man, yeah. That zero, 0. 0.2. They didn't they care for you. Giving me just the decimals. Yeah. You remember back in the day when pitch, a bad Pitchfork review could like just absolutely sink a band? And now I feel like no one gives a shit. Well, there's just so many channels now. But yeah, back in the day, they really had a monopoly on the, the, the hip uh, blogger scene. They did. But that's neither here nor there. We ain't talking about no Pitchfork. This is Losing My Opinion. And uh, we're here to show each other songs, and we got points to make about them. We do. And it's all in the spirit of fun rather than knowledge, is it not? <laughs> oh, I, I don't. Th- I feel like I learn something new every oh, week. Good. That's why we wrap okay. up by saying what we've learned, right? I mean, we do, we do learn something, but uh, you know, we're, we're not very well researched, I guess I'll say. No. Speaking for myself. No, we definitely, <laughs> we definitely are not. Uh, well, today I have something I, I really don't know how you're going to feel about this. Uh-oh. Uh, I don't know if I it's going to be an upsetting episode or if I can get you on board. Mm. I feel like this is really like this episode is very much in the spirit of losing my opinion. Nice, because I feel like sometimes we get away from that. We just show each other crazy yeah, shit. Yeah, we just bond over having the same opinion over and or over. Or have again. the same opinion. But right. so we're we're gonna butt heads a little bit today, huh? We might, but really, it's in the spirit of the show because it's like something that is very uncool and typically disparaged mm. uh just you know in, in the the kinds of circles that we run in definitely in the indie world i don't think this is an artist who is like well received mm. and probably rightfully so um so it's very uncool so but i'm gonna try to get you into it a little bit hey i like dorky stuff all right here we go so when i say the following two words what do you think of ready rod stewart ah uh... Mm, that's hard. Both kind of just schlocky, overrated rock singer and somewhat multifaceted at the same time. I, I don't know. This is, uh, yeah, I, I have very mixed feelings on the man. I think, that's, I think that's fair. I mean, this is the singer of the great American songbook across like, I don't know, 50 different compilations now. Like singer of Do You Think I'm Sexy, You're In My Heart, Young Turks, some pretty some of those songs you just named i kind of like though young turks that's my favorite the war on drugs song by the way wow so i don't like any of the songs i just named Ooh la la. Uh, i mean do you think i'm sexy well okay okay Uh, okay. you you didn't mention that one you're getting us off you're getting us off course i also don't i mean that he didn't even sing that song that's that's the faces which i do i want to get to them but that uh, one's a banger though oh it sure is especially because it was in a wes anderson movie so and that's how you, and that's your, that's how you, you know, some people use Spotify or Apple music. It's like, yeah, you have some to, people use pitchfork. I use Wes Anderson directors, uh, uh, soundtracks. soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, 
not to mention this is he's maybe the oldest father of newborns that has ever lived. Oh, like, boy. like he's got biblical. He's got some stiff competition though there in the rock scene. He's Come like on. Uh, Methuselah or something. Oh, it's like it's like a biblical thing. He's got very and Rod Begat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's actually on his wiki page. Mm. Uh, but anyway, sometimes artists go down a certain path, and it just totally obscures years of work. Mm. Uh, they get into like an artistic boondoggle, and they're just their reputation cannot fully recover. Doesn't change the excellent work they've done. But my argument today is, yeah, Rod Stewart does pretty fairly get labeled as a Vegas at lounge act these days, mm. but. There was a time when he was a maker of excellent records, records that stand the test of time, even when he himself does not stand mm. the test of time. Um, I, I mean, he doesn't have the best rep these days as a tried and true artist. His career went on in, let's say, a populist direction, to put it politely. But there was a time when he was a lead singer of one of the most kick-ass rock bands around, The Faces, right? That band deserves its own episode for sure. That's too. That's easy. Okay, we're not going to try to shoehorn them into a Rod Stewart episode all willy nilly. Yeah, because there's other creative people in that project. Who knows what, whom did what? You know how much you can attribute it to uh, Stewart himself. They were truly a mishmash of talented people. I mean, Ronnie Wood, Ronnie Lane, yeah, yeah, Ian McLagan. But beyond his work with the Faces, there was a time when he released an album that is just all killer, no filler, wall to wall great tunes. That album is Every Picture Tells a Story. And he actually released quite a few great albums. I mean, pretty much every Faces album is great, right? But his solo catalog from the early 70s is, is excellent. Never a Dull Moment, Gasoline Alley, some good stuff in there. Which one's got Maggie May on it? Every Picture Tells a Story. Yeah, that's a solid tune, even though it's you know played to shit on pop radio or it whatever. It is played to shit. I still like it, yeah. even though it is played to shit. Heath Ledger uh, dancing to it in the, uh, whatever, the surfboard factory at the end of Lords of Dogtown. Maybe that's a I deep I never saw cut. that movie. He, do, he does that, That's though? like the end of the movie is very, uh, left an impression on me. He's just like jamming out to that song, like clearly not destined for the limelight, but just like doing his thing, just loving that tune. That was oh. a great placement of Maggie Mae, I thought. R.I.P. That's cool. Yeah, I was actually I wasn't sure if I was going to play you that one today, but I, I don't think I will now because you know it. Everybody knows uh, that. I actually, mean, everybody who gives a shit about seventies rock knows Maggie May. Sure. Well, actually, I have a Rod Stewart story from high school. Uh, so, like, I knew it was incredibly uncool to like Rod Stewart. So I bought an "Every Picture Tells a Story" T-shirt. Oh shit! Uh, being the irritating contrarian that I was, I don't know how I found the shirt. But I was really proud of it. Like I was legitimately proud of. Having yeah, the mo- shirt. most kids opt for the uh, the dark side of the moon. I had one of those t-shirts. Or you get a queen. You get a Led Zeppelin. You get a the wall. You went for every picture tells a story. I went for every picture tells a story. Though I did have t-shirts of all of those bands you just named. But I was most proud of this one. Uh, but then I washed it once, and it shrunk to an absurd degree. Mm. Uh, like it became a baby tee. But. I was proud that I found Aren't it. Aren't you I a baby guy, though? So didn't that work out for you? At that point, kind of. Uh, in my mind, I wasn't going to let it go, though. So I used it for gym class because I was like, all right, it's a little bit tight. It's, it's, But th- I think it'll be suitable for this environment. And then this is like early high school. First day I walk out with it playing volleyball. And some dude is like, are you wearing a Rod Stewart belly tee? <laughs> uh, and everyone laughed at me. And it was very humiliating. But I did, looking back on it, fully deserve 
all of that ridicule. Not even going to argue with that guy there because that was just an interesting choice mm. on on my part. I was being very stubborn with his T-shirt. He left you saying, I wish that I knew what I know now. That's right. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I probably if I went back, I'd probably do the same thing again because I just really like the T-shirt. I actually still own it because I refuse to throw away. And now it's for Alma, right? You put it on her? <laughs> I'm not going to give her that albatross to hang around her neck. No. Uh, I do. I save all of my band T-shirts, though. I have every music wow. T-shirt is still much to my wife's chagrin, even the ones that have holes in them. But anyway, this record... Every picture tells a story. Ramshackle, loose, fun. It has the elements of Faces records that make those albums great, but it's also genuinely moving at times. And I don't know, how do you feel about Rod Stewart's voice? Because it's actually a bit of a stumbling block mm. for when I try to get people into this album. Like, do you have feelings about so, it? So what I'm interested in is the song. His voice... You know, it's it's unique. It's not always necessarily super pleasant, but if he's singing a song that, you know, I'm not going to hear anywhere else, it's it's his story to tell, uh, you know, whether it's a song you wrote or it's just like an obscure cover that he, you know, picked himself or whatever, it doesn't get in the way. But I do not want to hear him sing famous songs just for the sake of, ooh, what would Rod Stewart sound like doing this? Like that makes no sense to me. And I know that's kind Uh-oh. of his deal for the last 30 years we, or whatever. Uh, well, we have a couple of those interpolations oh, of tunes. But it's not it's not the same kind of shite as the, um, you know, like his Christmas covers. I don't even know if he's done a Christmas covers album. I'm just guessing he's done oh, many. Oh, he has to. But like the, the Great American Songbook, like that, that thing that he keeps doing over yeah, and over again. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, I'm not interested. That is not good and and i think it's what he's kind of settled into now so i I like his voice when he's using it for good not for evil uh because it is a unique sound it was perfect for the faces it's perfect for like a homespun sounding folky rock or just genuinely balls out (laughs) that's a crazy picture genuinely balls out rocking tunes huge hair big mole um Big old mole. All his bandmates from the Faces are on this record, and I think it's one of the things that makes it work mm. so well. So it's so basically like, a Faces record that he's like, no, I'm going to be the, the guy this time around. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's why it's good. <laughs> that is why it's good, I think. I mean, you know, Ron Ron Wood actually, uh, I think it's Ronnie Wood. He's, he's got an album called, like, I've Got My Own Album to Do, mm. and I think it's him making fun of Meta. Rod Stewart. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Ian McClagan's on it, Ronnie Lane, Kenny Jones. I, I think Mickey Waller actually plays a lot of the drums here, too. Ray but, Donk? Ray Donk's on here. Awesome. Yeah, everybody from the Colgate Hour. Sweet. Um, just killer bar band vibes from this band. Uh, and and so that's the whole actually... thing about Rod Stewart. It's like, I, I got a Greatest Hits album once upon a time. He's wearing a Guinness t-shirt. Like he's, you know, that's his whole vibe is I'm one of the lads. He is. Come hear me at the local pub. Yes. I mean, he, he stays can't... in that lane. I'm, I'm open, you know. He can't really do that anymore <laughs> <laughs> or hasn't been able to do it for some time. So this is, we're going to start with a song that I think kind of demonstrates the ramshackle, off-kilter quality of this record, and is a demonstration of him using his voice for good. It is, though, an interpretation of a famous tune, but I, I think that the way that it's done, and the spirit of it, and how it's arranged and carried mm. out, and I, it's just not what you're thinking when you think of him covering a song, okay. where it's like, you know. 
schmaltzy. It's it's so far from that. All right. Chipe in uh, uh, Rod Stewart. That's all right. All right. That's Little old-fashioned, but that's all right. You wear it well. I do like that song. Oh, it's a different that's all right. Uh, wear it well is a good, good one. The man knows how to bring in a fiddle. Yeah. You know? He's got a little bit of a Celtic mystery vibe. He does. He does. It's an interesting element. It's in Maggie May. I think it makes his stuff work sometimes. Yeah. It's what sets it apart is that, that Celtic element. If he can stick to that folky kind of rustic sound and incorporate that into rock, I think that's where he like shined the most. And it was really only for a small period it really of time. It was, yeah. It was like late 60s to mid 70s. And I think once he hit like 75, he sort of just lost it. All right, I'll hit play. I mean, the band just sounds great. Yeah. I mean, they, they cook, right? You got Randy Newman singing over this. Like, it's still going to... It's just a great band sound. Yeah, you might get a little lost in the sauce. It's got a little kinks flavor. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a, it's a tangled, knotty mess, and he just belts it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay. a, it, this is just the first take, but actually we nailed it today kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is Rod using his voice as a force of good in the world. Uh, and I think, you know, you might say, well, what's the difference between this and a Faces record? I, I couldn't tell you the difference. But I do know that this is great. It's just fun. He's got a particular kind of husk that yeah. even because I was going to go to, well, why wouldn't you just have like a, you know, a soul singer, somebody who's, you know, even a little Richard type, why not have them do this kind of music? But he brings a certain raspy, husky quality that is just unique across the board. I don't hear any other singers in other genres like have that tone usually and if you use it in the right context it totally works you know who i think of when i think of his voice and how it works so well and it's it's like it might be stupid comparison or it might be great i think of keith moon right because keith moon is absolutely fantastic what but is he absolutely fantastic outside of the i think you're talking about keith moon the vocalist i'm like bellboy i guess like what you mean as (laughs) a drummer no 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 no, no. as a drummer as a drummer like does that does that insane playing work outside of John Entwistle point. holding him Good down point. and, and, and uh, Pete Townsend holding him down and everybody playing around his yeah. orchestration? Keith Moon on a Steely Dan record. <laughs> oh, he, would, he would give them heart attacks. He would give, he would give them absolute heart attacks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, would it work? And I think with Rod Stewart, it's like we talk about the songs that we like of his, and it's always in this one period where it's him working with this band, these the, the faces and, and faces adjacent players. And it's just, I think his voice works really well for these arrangements, for the, for the music that these guys make. It's like a huskier, bluesier Ray Davies kind of. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, and, and Ray Davies, and the Kinks have, you know, you brought them up. That's a great, you know... Uh, 
think of like Muswell Hillbillies and, and records like that that we've talked about that are ramshackle. Yeah, all the way. Um, we're not going to listen to Maggie May because you say you know it, and that's just boring. Then, hey, I mean, um, maybe listeners out there don't necessarily know it. it is like his biggest single. I haven't heard it in a while. But if you got other ones, you you go on ahead. Well, we can go on. It's for sure the most famous tune on the record. It's great. Are the lyrics occasionally a bit whack? Yes. Hey, for the time, though, he did write this one. It's fine. Whatever. You know, he wrote it with Ron Wood. Kicks ass. It's kind of like his origin story too, mm. which is a bit endearing, like this autobiographical thing of him having an affair with an older woman, kind of led him into going off of the music, and it just makes the whole thing maybe slightly more endearing. But uh, let's go to a song called I Know I'm Losing You. I don't know this one either. I think you'll dig this one. Okay. I think you'll dig it. This is 1971. I thought this would have been later, this album. Yes, sir. Okay. No, he was already kind of done. I mean, like we were saying, like... You know, 75, 76, he just really loses his mojo. Once disco comes around and he, he just kind of lost the thread. You know what it was with him that turned me off more than anything else? He's, he seems like he spends way too much time on his hair. Yeah, it does like, look... He seems obsessed with his hairstyle. Like too much time on, on the look, not enough on, the, look on good. The, the songwriting chops. I think he was always kind of like, I think of him like uh, the guy from the Mighty Boosh. Like, <laughs> he's just like, you know... <laughs> you mean the British like Bake very, Off host? Right, that yeah. was the British, the Great British Bake Off. Right, sorry. Yeah, like that kind of thing where he's just like constantly talking about like fashion. He is a knoll. He's an unironic knoll. Yeah, being part of the scene. Yeah, he needed a Howard. He didn't. He didn't stick with a Howard. He didn't have his Howard. Yeah. You know, big into scarves. Yeah. I mean, geez, yeah, it's right there. Uh, for this song, go to like two eleven. All right. Great piano sound. Oh, it's going down. Hmm. That piano, man. Yeah, this is like the kinks turned up a notch. It's great. It's like the best bar band ever. You picked a part Stuart doesn't even sing in. <laughs> well, I'm allowed to do this if you play me steely dance uh, snippets with no vocals. At least they wrote the music. Did he write this one? <laughs> um... No, this is a, I think it's a Motown cover. Okay. Yeah, I like hearing the faces cover Motown. I got no problem with that. Listen to that drum solo. Yellow Cat Scratch guitar. That's like eight years ahead of its time. And no, he's not singing, but he is leading the band. I mean, you hear him. Woo! You hear him guiding them. I could do that. You know? Yeah! Well, not like that. He's the uh, conductor? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I mean, he, he does that, I think, with his vocals. You know, he, he's kind of like if Mick Jagger didn't have the Rolling Stones. Like if Mick Jagger just stuck to the solo thing. Well, Mick Jagger stole Ronnie Wood, so, I mean, he saw the value. Yeah. 
Like if if Mick didn't have his Keith, that's kind of the Rod Stewart story. Right. I'm starting to wonder. Yeah. So this is like the sloppy raucous heights this song scales it's just fantastic it's five and a half minutes they just jam the shit out of it uh i love it it's like right next to like maggie may you mm. know on this record very it's different just a tone. Really dynamic dynamic yeah. album he's kind of all over the place i want to end with a song that i think is really moving it's a song that we have listened to before oh. on this podcast and i think this is where you can kind of see the start of his american songbook path mm. You know, turning into like a sincere mm-hmm. crooner. But to me, this is genuinely heartfelt. You know, he belts it. It feels real. It's a great song by Tim Harden. Uh, we listened to Karen Dalton's version of it, which oh, is also great. I've heard this. I've heard his version of, of what you're about to say, You've too. You've heard this? Yeah, I like it. Okay. I dig yeah. it. Uh, this is like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's still that Faces vibe. Still, It has the fiddle in the organ mm-hmm. that we've, you know, kind of accustomed to is an upright bass on it it's just really enjoyable and i think a moving tune and it's a little song called reason to believe am i correct yes yeah not the bruce springsteen song yeah i I always like this this version this is the kind of thing i heard and i thought it was an original because it really seemed to just he does that stem from the vibe of the group like it really is different from when you showed me the uh the actual original And, and his version is very different it's like very very uh 60s folk style yeah like just very straight you know yeah this i remember this one having like a honky-tonk woman feel a little bit a little, oh, a little bit woman. yeah that's there in this record um let's do it reason to believe i, I remember liking this i haven't heard this in years though love the arrangement i, I like how every you know I, when i hear this beginning of this song i think about going to your boy brian wilson my boy I think about how he opens in my room you know that song where it's just like the arrangement is perfect for the intro. Like he just sort of staggers how he brings in the instrumentation and the harmony comes in and you know, it's, it's just, it's perfectly layered. And before you know it, you're in, you're in the song. Let's go. If I listen long enough to you I find a way to believe totally forgot about that organ that's nuts knowing that you lied straight faced while I cried still I look to find a reason that acoustic to believe Twelve strong like you makes it hard to live somebody else. That organ is so loud in the mix. It's great. That's what organ's supposed to do. <laughs> oh, this is this is yeah, it's funkier than I remember. It's got a great Yeah, it's like an fat kind of thing, and it's a song that's you know, could be done in a really American songbook kind of way. It's got a great flavor to it. Again, that piano, killer. Yeah, and I think he does interesting things with the melody as a vocalist. It's a good delivery. Yeah. yeah. Mm, there's the star of the show. Yeah, and it's a... 
Yeah, and it's also, you know, like you said, that Celtic vibe before, like, you get that here too. You know, there's not a huge difference between what he's doing here and like, you know, the, the middle of Van Morrison's 70s run, mm -hmm. you know? I want to hear those two collaborate. Maybe they did. Oh, man. <laughs> the amount of beers consumed that evening. Uh, I don't know how Van Morrison collaborates with anyone. Hey! <laughs> yeah, I mean, this record just Classic. has a little bit of everything. You yeah. got the barn burners, you got interpretations of classic songs, some killer originals, really good originals. I know we only listened to, uh, uh, I think, one original here, but yeah. it all feels organic and tossed off. Like, they, they recorded everything the same day. I, I think that they, they did. It was a lot of, like, one-take kind of stuff, and you get that flavor here. Um, so I don't think I've really changed your mind much because it seems like you were kind of down with this sound. Already. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the faces <laughs> more than anything else. It seems. Um, yeah, I'm I'm down with with early early period Rod Stewart. Yeah, and I and I don't you know I don't want to. We talk about the faces like that band is incredible. We'll do an episode that's just on focused on them and their work. But you know, Rod Stewart leading them is important. It's it's part of yeah. it. It's it's not it's not like, nothing. Yeah, it's not like they went off and made brilliant records without him. You know, like it's he was he brought in, something to the table clearly. Exactly. Yeah. Sweet. Well, that was less contentious than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah. I'm easy yeah. going. Yeah. That's I'm how diplomatic. I would describe you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what What am I hearing today? Am I, am I going to be challenged? What, am I, what are you hearing today? Yeah, what am I hearing? What are you hearing? Well, you're hearing what I'm playing. That I know. Losing my opinion. The theme of today, because we got a very defined theme, it is that of the producer. The music producer. Okay. Um, just for the folks at home who aren't such uh, brainiacs as us, what what is a producer essentially in, in the role of rock and pop music? What does a producer do? Uh, yeah, I'm not talking about like modern day electronic producer, hip hop producer. Yeah, well, what? now it's like make the entire song and do everything. Right. That's, yeah, the different meanings depending on the genre. But back in the day, what did it mean to be a, like a rock and pop producer? What, what does that look like? What, what are your roles? They're... they're riding the wave of kind of the overarching vision of the product they're they're holding together something tenuous long enough to capture the magic what does that mean though <laughs> what are they doing um, what are their, their like, literal roles usually you think um I, I forget the guy's name but like let's say fleetwood max producer on sure. like rumors like a lot i think a lot of the role of the because we're talking about old school producer it's kind of working uh overseeing the 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 arrangements and the songwriting and kind of stepping in and nudging things in a particular direction or or not in a homogenous direction but uh, bringing overall clarity and direction to the whole project i think that's a very good description overall uh i think i think that gives the uh the folks at home an idea and i think everything you said was was definitely accurate it's it's kind of the role of somebody who maybe more than the band, so the band, you know, whatever band they are, they're so wrapped up in like playing their songs and doing gigs. And the producer is somebody who kind of has the best understanding of how it's all going to translate to a recording, a studio manufactured recording. And we you know what that product is kind of going to look like and sound like at the end and how to keep it cohesive along the way, what elements to, to kind of stifle a little bit in that context, what to 
elevate, you know, kind of the prime director, creative director voice for, you know, the band to consult when they're stuck on any given problem. That's kind of how I, I see that role. Yeah. And sometimes um, it's like esoteric too, like where you don't, sometimes with really good producers, you don't even necessarily, you're not able to put your finger on what it is they're adding, right. but it makes a difference when they're but not. At the there. end of the day, you can, you know, there's some footprint that they, they Flavor. Leave. Yeah. Well, so today I'm talking about when producers get out from behind that mixing console and oh, they get out in front of the microphone and they lead their own projects. I'm talking about producers doing the singer-songwriter thing, being their own main artist. That's my theme for today. Interesting. Is, is it something that is obscure, or are we talking about somebody who kind of made it? Well, when I talk about this, who do you think might be one example? Who do you think I might be introducing today? Todd Rundgren. Good guess. No. I don't know. Well, you might have heard of a one... Brian Peter George St. John Le Baptiste de Lassay, okay, right, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I have heard, yeah, this, the famous Count, Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> Brian Eno, uh, most notably the guy who worked with Coldplay, and I guess he he worked with some other artists back I in the day, too. I would say most no. <laughs> you're fucking with me. Yeah, uh, he worked with, uh, yeah. I mean, the, Bo- the Berlin Trilogy, I feel, is his uh, staggering achievement. I mean, it's the work he did on Joshua Tree. I know there's a lot. It's, everybody's dragging you too these days, but like that work he did on Joshua Tree is amazing. With the streets have no name, like his work on that song alone justifies every all the love oh, he yeah. gets. Uh, um, Talking Heads and David Byrne in particular, uh, oh, yeah. but like Remain in Light, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. Roxy Music, his placement in Roxy Music. He wasn't producing though, was he? No, not at that point, but that's yeah. like something else he's done. So... I'm not going to just talk about Brian Eno today, but he's my first example of this. When somebody who's mostly known as a producer, what is it Turns like? into an elf. <laughs> what is it like when they are doing the original, you know, solo recording artist, singer-songwriter thing? We're going to look at a few different examples today, but I'm, and I left out Rundgren weirdly. I mean, I like uh, Hello, It's Me, but we're talking about a few of those kind of folks today, starting with Eno. You're familiar with the Eno solo records, right? The ones where yes. you, I mean, there's a million of those, but specifically the ones where he sings. Yeah, music for cooking eggs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't listened to all of the ambient stuff. I do love a few of those albums. Yeah, I oh, love discrete yeah, yeah. music. Holy moly. That's, yeah. But I'm yeah. talking specifically about when Eno wrote lyrics and melody and sang. Are you familiar yep. with those records? I think so, there's four of them total. Yeah, I maybe there's four. I, there, there's um, Another Green World. Yeah. yeah, here come the warm jets, which I th- I think yeah. is the first one. Here come mm-hmm. the warm jets. That record is absolutely incredible. Another green world, absolutely incredible. Um, Before and after science, I I really like taking Tiger Mountain. I really like. I by think those strategy. are the four. That's my yeah, favorite. Oh, sorry, title. by strategy. <laughs> taking really, Tiger Mountain by strategy. That's I love that. Whatever the hell that means. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure he knew. Uh, they're all great records. I mean, those first two are brilliant. Yeah. But all four of those records are great. Yeah, he's a rare bird, this guy. I feel similarly. It's fucking off the wall and bizarre, but I those the uh, those albums don't get old. I love the ambient stuff too. I love his production work, but the the uh, Eno as a singer songwriter, just the most psychologically impenetrable man. I have no idea why he wrote what he wrote, what the disposition is behind the songs. Just I cannot break through on any level, but it's fascinating. Taking Tiger Mountain was actually the second record, so I have to correct That's myself correct. there. But that is correct. um. Yeah, I mean, 
you, you listen to, and, and I heard about this through like Bowie biographies, but like the oblique strategies that he used to use were, you know, he writes down on the card, like everybody switch instruments or, or whatever. Right. Kind yeah. Of Just a whole open. deck of like weird suggestions to break up, yeah. you know, the, the, whatever rut the, a band might be in. He's like, he's complicated because you hear sort of conflicting stories about him. Like he's, he sounds like the king of overcoming writer's block. Which would make you think that he is not like psychotically exacting, but then mm. you hear that other story about him working on where the streets have no name to the point where he essentially has a nervous breakdown while he's doing it and like trashes what they had before uh, back in the day where you could not like rescue a file <laughs> and they had to redo it. Good lord! Um, so th- those are two different guys. Yeah, no, he's he's he could easily have his own episode. I don't want to do that though. I I got some other artists to uh, to bring up after him, but we're we're starting with what I would say, other than Todd Rundgren, I would say is one of the most obvious examples of this. Um, he's he's getting out from behind that mixing console, and this is he's gonna tell you his story, and uh, so starting with Eno, and then listening to a couple artists afterward. You love criteria. I do. So I'll throw you a bone here. We're gonna we're gonna just hear these uh, three artists today and, and think about some criteria. We're thinking, you know, because obviously the arrangements are gonna be interesting. Obviously, they the all these people are gonna know their way about the studio. That's what they do professionally anyway. But you know, just thinking about lyrics, thinking about melody, and thinking about the vocals themselves. I want right, to assess they putting the, the song across. Right. I yeah. want to assess that quality with uh, three different artists I'm showing you today. I have my personal favorite of the three. Um, I think you'll end up having yours. Um, you yeah. sound pretty bully on Eno already. But, uh, I'm bu- well, I'm, you know, I'm bully on Eno, but I'm thinking about his voice, and it's like never really <sighs> what I'm listening to in the song. It's always like, oh, oh, that's, that's like, look at those strangers. Yeah, it's like he's making fun of it. There's not much but, to it. Dude, you're the singer of this album. Yeah, it's a very weird line he walks. But, yeah. Without further ado, let's listen to a tune actually from Before and After Science from 77. Uh, this one really sticks out to me. This is King's Lead Hat. You know this one? Yes, that, I do. That's yeah. an anagram of talking heads, apparently. King's Lead Hat. Oh, I know it. Uh, let's, let's rock out to King's Lead Hat a little bit. And again, we're, we're just thinking about you know vocals themselves and then lyrics and melody and kind of okay. just stewing on that today. Gotcha. Such sounds. You know how much he influenced, like, James Murphy. Oh, I was just thinking that, yeah. And everybody, Bjork. The man loved his tinkering, but we're going to get some vocals in a second here. (laughs) Breaking in the cash. That's my favorite part. He was really like feeding off of David Byrne at this point because he sounds very inspired. He's, here's how I feel about his vocals. He is like just he's just a chameleon. I think whoever he's working with at the time is like kind of like, all right, I'll vaguely adopt their vocal style because 
There are times yeah. where he tries to sound like Brian Ferry earlier on. That's true. There are times yeah. where I think he sounds a little bit like Bowie or, or yeah. And then here he sounds to me exactly like David Byrne. Ba-ba! So that's yeah. it, really. I mean, he he named the the song like an anagram of Talking Heads. He's doing that Yelpy thing. He knows thing. what's up. <laughs> the lyrics, my God, I yeah, I think that's I think you pinpointed it though. Is he doesn't quite as a solo artist necessarily have his own vibe always because he is always going to try to emulate other things going on, like put it through his kaleidoscope but yeah like you you still hear that in the end like there's not like the brian eno singer songwriter sound to emulate because he's already emulating something else on some level right yeah and it's it's almost like the vocal to him is just another instrument it's always like vaguely buried in the mix like uh, he's just kind of he's using it as a tool more than like this is the centerpiece of the song so i don't rate his vocals highly i mean he's brilliant in the way he uses them because I think they are integral to the song. It's just like not, I don't think you can really judge it in that way. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, in the interest of time, we're going to move on to our second artist now. Okay. So that was one of, I would say, one of the most obvious examples. And, you know, Eno, yeah. produ- when you say famous historic rock producers, like Eno is, you know, he's it. He's the top of the list. But we're moving on to... Uh, we're getting a lot more obscure here. I'm I'm talking about a producer now who I don't know. He only produced um, music from Big Pink, if you're familiar with that album. Yeah. Uh, also the band, uh, the self-titled album. He produced uh, the Last Waltz. Maybe these albums are ringing some bells for you. Yeah, yeah. There's some of my favorite records. <laughs> you ever heard of John Simon? Yes. Yeah. Is he the fella? He produced uh, Songs of Leonard Cohen, the first Leonard Cohen album. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He made his own record? He made a couple of records. I've only heard one. But yeah, he uh, in the early 70s, uh, he was encouraged by Paul Simon, among others, uh, to uh, to follow his muse and, and do his own thing in the studio, not just uh, work for others. And he, yeah, we're about to listen to that. He made an album called, I think it was just called John Simon's Album. Yep. Okay. 1971. Pretty straightforward. Not trying to confuse anyone. So you've heard the name as like, oh, he's like, you know, quote unquote, oh, the oh, sixth yeah. member of the band. But well, yeah, what else do you know about him? Oh, ju- oh just that he made like, um, uh, he did Cheap Thrills mm-hmm. by the Janis Joplin, Big Brother and the Holding Company. That record yeah, is yeah. fantastic. And the, those band records that you talked about. And, and the one Leonard Cohen album that I know, I don't know if he did more from him. Nah, I don't think he was a good fit for Cohen. He he had too many. There's too many layers for Cohen in that that first album. You you want sure. songs from a room where it's just like, what is this purgatory? Like there's just a Jew's <laughs> harp and a, like one guitar and everything yeah. is so dry. And 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 the the first two band records, like the production on those records, mm. is unbelievable. Iconic. Everyone's still trying to do that. I'm trying to do that. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. The production's a big part of why that those two records are amazing. All right. Well. He made those two undeniably classic records, and then sometime in the early 70s, he said, hold up, I'm going to try doing my own thing. And we're going to listen to the first song off of his first album. This song is called... Simon Says. No, <laughs> that'd be great if he... You know, he screwed that up. How come Paul Simon didn't do that, though? Simon Says, like spelled like S-E-Z. There goes Ryman Simon. Simon Says, like that he fits already, right in yeah, there. Skir- skirting that line, he should have just gone all the way. He had the mustache already. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, but no, we're listening to uh, a John Simon song called The Song of the Elves. Okay. All right. 
Dislike it. And the elves rode along singing this song for anyone who happened to be along and for coming up on the B section. Leslie effect there. It's great production. Very cool. He is a producer. Sure. So, yeah. yeah really you, interesting. So, what'd you make of them apples? Really interesting. Again, sort of hard to rate the vocals because it's like. He's pitchy. Uh, There's no getting around that. Sure. That was going to be my first comment. I think that sort of goes without saying, but the. There's, it's different than with Eno, because with Eno, it's just like, you know, he's... Detached. Stays in key, vaguely. It's in the music. It's mixed down. Yeah. This is like out front, and he is like, I am singing now. Uh, and it does have an interesting quality, like, you know, like Tiny Tim or something like that, mm. where it's like, it sounds like outsider art a yeah. little bit, or like Daniel Johnston, kind of just like... It, there's a certain quality to it that is uh, catchy and um, engaging, Uh yeah, I, I I I could see myself listening to that song more and like kind of getting into his world. I can vouch for at least the, the John Simon's album. I can vouch for it as a whole. Like, there's some other pretty interesting, definitely weird, but like other oh. solidly written, interesting. Like, uh, yeah, you know, essentially rock songs. But he just keeps throwing those twists in there. But uh, you know, I'm gl- I'm glad he made an album. I'm glad he uh, he he uh, rolled the dice. It sounds good. Yeah, I, I think it's something that I probably would uh, enjoy more the more I listen to it. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our third and final uh, contestant of this evening. I don't know okay. if this is a contest. I just don't know how, uh, we, I don't know how we're going to judge these uh, contestants. A, th- here, a third but... flavor for contrast. You know, you'll you'll hear all of them. You'll you'll mull them over. You can tell me at the end okay. which gave you the the most full singer songwriter experience. You know? Okay. Sure. Um, we're lastly going to talk about, so he, he has been both an engineer and producer, or he was in his career. Um, he was an engineer for a little band called uh, The Beatles. Am I saying that right? Beatles? Beatles? John and, and Paul and such. Are we talking uh, about Jeff Emmerich? The man before Jeff Emmerich. So who I'm talking about oh, next is the guy, oh, I you know, know him. this guy. Yeah. You got very excited look on your face. This guy's going to win. Yeah, so yeah, keep going. Hell yeah, keep he's going to win. So who am I talking about? Well, I don't know. Should I let you spill the beans or I'll keep No, good? you do it. You All do the right. research. Well, you know who this... I barely did research. Uh, this is... This next artist, I've loved this man's music for a very long time. He's got... He's so unique. I mean, forget 
the uh, history of literally like he's the guy making sure the tape machines are working while fucking John Lennon sings in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was there in 1965 or whatever. Uh, engineer Norman Smith, John Lennon gave him the nickname Normal Smith because uh, he was so <laughs> laid back and he's going. I'm talking about Norman Smith, also sometimes known as Hurricane Smith. Yeah. Uh, engineer for the Beatles up until Rubber Soul. And then he uh, he produced a little band after that called Pink Floyd. Maybe you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're catching all these uh, deep cuts this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he produced like the first couple, at least the first couple of Pink Floyd albums. He was an EMI guy. So Hurricane Smith, he was born in 1923. And That's fric- crazy. Yeah, and the freaking 1970s come, come along and he's like, oh, I guess I'll start singing my own songs and like making TV appearances. And like he did have a song go to like number two on the charts yes. uh, called Don't Let It Die. It's a good song. He's, they're all good songs. That's not my favorite though. That's not what no, I'm going to show No, but you today, know what but... the song is to play. Oh, do I? You do, yeah. I have my own favorite. What, what's, what, are you, what are you coming in with here? Oh, babe, what would you say? I mean, that's, yeah. No, that's You that's don't like good. that song? I like it. I'm showing you the one, I, the hardest thing I had to do all freaking week. And, you know, I work a job, I do classes. The hardest thing I had to do all week was pick a Hurricane Smith song to show for today. Okay. I just had to pick one. I'm picking, you're, you might say it's a little schmaltzy, a little loungy, whatever. I'm picking the one that, that got me in the feels. Uh, I'm showing a Hurricane Smith song called that girl i don't know if you know that one i don't know this song um i just the the vibe the groove of it the i want whatever he did for his vocal chain um recording terminology free nerds out there I, i'd kill for it just the way his voice sounds and the little mm-hmm. slappy backy echo like i love everything about it. it's it got a great feel and i think he's singing it at like freaking 50 years old uh next to a bunch of young bucks and you know in the early 70s rock scene just a very Unique figure, to say the least. Yeah, he's a, he's a weird guy. And his vocals are crazy. Yeah, he's. Uh, so I love him as a vocalist. He, I think he got flack at the time. Um, and maybe listening to this tune, you, you know, you can hear why it might be controversial. But how, how would you describe his vocals? They sound amateurish, but like he is going for it. Like he go, he's, he's after it. Do they sound amateurish or does it sound like somebody who's been singing nonstop for like 20 years and his voice is just like at sanity's edge, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit like that too. He also produced uh, The Pretty Things SF Sorrow. That's true. Which One of the first concept albums. That is a crazily produced record. Good, in a good way. Yeah, the man oozed talent out of his 1920s pores. Uh, we're going to hear, we're going to hear that girl. And okay. for me, I think this is going to be my favorite of the three. It sounds like you're you're warming up to this uh, probably. Already. Yeah, I mean, he's like he is. Uh, despite the amateurish comment I made, which is you know maybe not the best word I could have used, but like he's off kilter. He sounds inebriated, maybe. Yeah, yeah. He, so- he sounds off kilter, but it is a very unique tone, very unique delivery, and it's it's his own thing. It's not mixed into the music like you know. It's not um, whatever the last thing we just listened to was. <laughs> Doesn't sound like outsider art necessarily, right? It it has uh, almost like a Frank Sinatra esque like classic lounge quality. A lot of his stuff, yeah. but then other times it's like he'll have a super distorted piano sound, like as the instrumental lead. Like he'll get a little weird too. Yeah. Um, 
this is probably something only I, maybe two people out there are going to appreciate, but I, I realize he kind of looks like Neil Breen a little bit. I don't know who that is. All right. Do your homework on Neil Breen on your off hours there. Okay. Uh, exceptional filmmaker. I'll just say that. All right. So we're going to listen to Hurricane Smith, That Girl. And uh, I just, I love this tune. Always have. Almost a little burp back racky. That's a great slapback, yeah. I mean, if you work with Lennon, you better know how to use a slapback. You know what he sounds a little bit like? You remember, like, Frankie Valley when he would, like, start screaming? It's a little bit like that. Do you know this tune? No, I've not heard this one before. It's a great song. It's fun. It's sleazy. Yeah. Well. I dig it. God damn if we didn't just agree with each other all over again today. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously the best vocalist. It's just, you know, he's he's interesting. He's he's off kilter. He's, it's, it just has its own unique tonal quality. And he did work with the best band. He did. Yeah. And it's just the facts. Uh, well, we talked about we a lot. Are here at the we end. About vocal we are here at the end of the hour. Yeah, vocal chains. We talked about <laughs> all kinds of fancy things, and you know, we gave some opinions today. I gave some opinions on Rod Stewart. We talked about his hair. Yeah, I think every picture tells a story is great. I, I yeah, I learned the faces. He's that was his whole deal in the early seventies was just being a part of that band. You know, even if the album said Rod Stewart on it. And uh, that's why I like his early stuff, I guess. That's the conclusion I'm drawing. Yeah, yeah. And Norman, Sm- Norman Smith, I got to go back and listen to his records. You got to yeah. listen to Norman Smith. I don't know any individual albums, but you get the best of, you can't go wrong. Yeah, I think I, there was a time where I, I listened to like a greatest hits of his. I really liked Obey, but would you say? I think that sounds amazing. Well, I said the Beatles were the best band of all time. And I could be wrong now. <laughs> But I don't think so. Really throwing it back. It's like it's like a real old school version of that tag. I was trying to do a, a Hurricane Smith style. Oh, Hurricane Smith. Tag. Oh, you yeah. know what? Yeah, it kind of was that. Yeah, I mean, there isn't so. There isn't a huge distance between the no. screaming of Hurricane Smith and uh, Randy <laughs> it's all, Newman. It's all in the same. Yeah, yelling over Tony Shalhoub, cleaning something. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'll say uh, so long, suckers, and uh, we'll see you next week. But before that, uh, you got to subscribe. 
uh, on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss any future episodes. Uh, if you also want to follow us on the social meds, uh, we're still on Twitter. Don't let it die. Whatever. Uh, at Losing My Opinion, we're on Instagram and TikTok as well, at Losing My Opinion. And that's it. That's all I had to shoehorn in there. So long, producers. Producers.